Good morning. Yeah, Bruce, our, our drummer, Bruce Blackheart, was sharing with me. He was so excited about this new screen up here because he's the one who told me, yeah, because he said, now we can, we can watch it silently, we can mute it, and we can watch the ball games. You know, if there's an important game going on, nobody will have an excuse to not come anymore. So, boy, that's great for us, huh? Yeah, so we think of everything around here. Um, hey, have you ever struggled with the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament? Right? Yeah, some of you are nodding your heads. I've, I've struggled with that some. Sometimes it seems like the Old Testament is all doom and gloom, and the New Testament is all love and grace. Does it sometimes seem that way? However, if you look at them closely and really examine them, it's amazing that the similarities far outweigh the dissimilarities. They really do tie together. The Old Testament talks about how human beings are sinful, and by themselves, they really can't do anything that's truly good. And it shows us what a righteous life looks like and how we can't attain to that. And therefore, we're, you know, we're doomed unless somebody comes to save us. And the one that comes to save us is this foretold Messiah. And so it talks about the Messiah coming to save us. There are over 300 passages, 300 predictions, 300 prophecies in Scripture about Jesus, the Messiah. And they all came true. Isn't that amazing? Every time I say that, I think that just that is amazing to think about that. And we see that by that alone, they link together. And in fact, you, you really can't have one without the other. If, for example, the Old Testament made, made all these prophecies about the Messiah and they never came true, what would that have to say about the Old Testament? It would, you know, there'd be something wrong with it. It would lose its validity. But on the other hand, if Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and none of these prophecies came true in his life, what would we have? We'd have a fraud. He wouldn't be real. But the fact that they link together so perfectly is really amazing. And it's a perfect place for us to end our series. This is our third week in our series, The End of the Beginning. Remember, we talked about Jesus' life. When Jesus dies on the cross and is buried, that's not the end. It's the end of his earthly life, but it's the beginning of a new era. It's not only the end of this series that we're talking about, but it's actually the end of our multiple series in the book of Luke. Have you noticed that we've been doing a lot in Luke? Did it ever occur to you that we're actually going through the book of Luke, taking sections? We didn't do all of it, but we've basically covered most of it. And so what, what, we're end with, it, what we're left with is that we've completed after two and a half years, it didn't take us that long, but two and a half years as a church, we have finished our first book in the gospel. So that's been fun. Hope you've enjoyed it. I've had a good time going through it and studying it. It's been very interesting. And it's interesting that Jesus ends it this way. And he basically says, the things from the Old Testament had to be fulfilled in my life in order for all of this to be real. And I'm just going to tie it all together for you and tell you about that right now. So that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. Let me read that to you. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. 
everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could, re, uh, they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness for sins of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. What Old Testament teachings about Jesus must be fulfilled? The first one is he reveals himself to his followers, verses 36 to 45. If you think about it, most of the Old Testament seems to be pointing in the direction of revelation about who the Messiah is. At the time of Jesus, they're still trying to figure out who is the Messiah. Who is he going to be? Are you him or is somebody else the Messiah? They're trying to figure out who he is. And now Jesus, even though he's said it before, more than ever before, he emphatically comes up before them and he says, I am the Messiah. And let me clear it all up for you and explain who I am and fill in all the missing you know, holes, all the, the parts of the story that you haven't had up till now. And so that's what this is basically about. There's a problem with it and that is, is the third message that takes place on Easter Sunday. And that's really a great sacrifice on my part because that means that those are two, at least two sermons I could have used on, a, on an Easter Sunday that I'm using up three in a row here. So I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll figure it out. We always talk about the Easter Bunny, right? Okay, so, so then you know, we're, we pick it up here. It says he reveals himself to his followers, and we pick up the story with Easter Sunday, and it's now in the afternoon. It's actually not in the afternoon. It's in the evening. And so what we've seen happen so far is that the angels tell the, the ladies at the tomb that Jesus has risen. They go back and they tell the others and they go check it out and eventually Cleopas and his companion are heading to the road to Emmaus and we saw last week Jesus reveals himself to them. And then he reveals himself to Simon Peter. And then Peter gets everybody together and they're in a room and they're talking about what Jesus has done. Um, they've just, it's, it's Easter Sunday evening, they've just watched the Ten Commandments and uh, like good Jewish boys and now they're talking about uh, Jesus has come, what's going on in our lives? And then there he is, right there among them. This is, must have blown them away. There were quite a number of them, probably. There were probably the women there. There were the 11, which is a designation of, they used to be the 12, Judas Iscariot left them, so now they're called the 11, although John says in his account that Thomas was missing on this occasion. And then he had 72 other people that he sent out as missionaries in chapter 10, so probably some of them were there. And they're just talking, and there he is out of no place. And John, in his account, records that the doors were locked. So anybody who thinks, you look at this and say, oh, he just sort of snuck in. He didn't just sneak in. The doors were locked. Out of no place, bang, there he is. Because he's God. He can do what he wants to do. And he has this new body. And some have mentioned that we will have new bodies when our bodies are resurrected will have glorified bodies. And it appears that as we look at some of the other examples with, for example, Elijah and um, Moses coming at the transfiguration and appearing and disappearing, um, perhaps there, the limitations will be different on our bodies. We won't have the boundaries that we now have. And Jesus just appears and then he says to them, what? 
Peace be with you, which is what in Hebrew? Anybody know? Shalom. Yeah, most people are familiar with that even today. Shalom is a way that people will sometimes greet themselves. It's a good old-fashioned Hebrew greeting. It is actually a very powerful greeting. Shalom means a sense of completeness, fulfillment, contentment. It's a word that tries to capture what everybody in this room wants to feel. It's a really cool word. But I think it probably had lost its meaning, even as it has today, when people say it. It's just like saying, how you doing? Right? I ran into a person I hadn't seen for a while this week. And I said, hey, how you doing? And he said, well, you're a pastor, and I should probably tell the truth. You know, most people you know, don't tell the truth to pastors. I said, no, you know, people, people lie to me all the time. Um, <laughs> but he... He said, um, no, I, I'll tell you what's going on in my life. And then I said, no, please don't. I just meant it as a greeting. I was just saying hello. I really don't want to know what's going on, right? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. They said, no, tell me what's going on. Let's, let's talk about it. And I found out he had surgery, and we talked, and we prayed. It was a good time. But truthfully, I wasn't asking him, how are you doing? I was just saying hello. I have to admit, that was the occasion. Now, sometimes I go visit somebody in the hospital, and I say, how are you doing? I really mean it. But a lot of times I just use it in, in kind of a colloquial way. In this case, Jesus was doing it sincerely. I don't think there was ever a greeting that was more sincere or more meaningful than what Jesus here says. Because Jesus is not just saying, peace be with you, shalom. Jesus is saying, shalom is here, and he is here for you. I bring you shalom pretty powerful stuff. And do they get excited about it? No, they're, they're scared stiff. They think he's a disembodied spirit, and they don't know what to do with him. And so he has to calm them down and say, no, 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 don't be troubled. It really, really is me. And to show them it's him, to demonstrate that it's him, he's going to show them his body and show them it's really his body. And by the way, there's an interesting thing here that happens. Every time after Jesus rises from the dead, when people you know, interact with him, they don't recognize him at first. Something has changed about Jesus. He's not quite the same. And then as soon as they look at him, they say, oh, no, it is him. So his features seem to be the same, but there's something different. And again, people believe that this is because he's in this glorified state. But even though he's in this glorified state, he still has the scars. And so he shows them the scars. An interesting piece of trivia that I think is actually pretty fascinating is that in those days they did not always pierce people's hands and feet. Oftentimes they would take rope and they would tie you up with rope on a cross. More often than not they would pierce the, the, um, the hands, the wrists, but not the feet. They just used rope. Sometimes they did all of them. This makes it clear that they did all of them for Jesus. So he had both ankles and both wrists pierced. And then he says, touch them. Now, I would prefer that the meaning of this word was, you know, let me just take a look, you know. But he says, handle them, manipulate them, get a hold of them. I don't know, I would have probably said, I'm good. <laughs> but, but they go ahead and they get, to, they get to feel him and to see that he's for real. 
Now, it's interesting what happens to these guys is it says that they did not believe it because of joy and amazement. And I looked at different things that people said on that, and I was looking at the meaning of the words, and I think probably the best way to explain that is not that they didn't completely believe. It was more that they didn't comprehend. They, they wanted to believe, but they just couldn't figure it out. It's like, it, you, you seem real, but it, this, is, this, this is unbelievable. I believe, but it's just unbelievable. So Jesus says, let me go further and make it really clear for you that I am not a ghost. I'm a real human being. Give me some food and I'll eat it with you. And so he eats it with them. But he also accomplishes another purpose. Because when he sits down to eat that food, he establishes table talk. Something we talked about last week that we seem to lack a lot in our culture. Although we do it a lot when we go out to eat. That's why we like to go out and eat with people. Not just for food, but because we want to talk. And that's what's happening here. It's fellowship. It's an opportunity for them to sit down and talk. And it's a perfect teaching opportunity for Jesus. And so now he begins to explain everything to them. And what he says is very diplomatic and very kind. He says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. It's a very diplomatic and kind way of saying, I told you so. That's what he's saying. I told you so. I told you this was going to happen all along. This is the message that I've had for you. But not only did I tell you this, but it was in the prophets. It was in the law. It was in the Psalms. What's he referring to there? Those are the different divisions of what today we call the Old Testament. Exact same books. And he's saying they're there. They were there for you all along. Now, I want to go back to another thing we talked about last week because some of these things link together. Remember we talked about Luke chapter 9, verse 45. After Jesus prophesies his death and resurrection, it says that this was hidden from his followers. They weren't able to grasp it yet. And that was supernaturally hidden because God didn't want them to know yet because it wasn't time. But remember, when the women were talking to the angels and the angels reminded them of Jesus' prediction, what happened? They, they understood. They said they remembered. So they grasped it. So that, that supernatural closing up of the mind seems to have been opened now. So they understood. But when he talks to Cleopas and his companion last week, we saw that they were still like, well, I don't know. And what Jesus is basically saying here is, there were some things that were hidden from you, but you should be able to put the pieces together now. You should be able to understand what has happened. And furthermore, if you had been studying your Bibles diligently all along, even before I came, you would have seen the pieces coming together more, more than you have. Nevertheless, there are some things that are still just too hard to comprehend. I'm going to put it all together for you now. And so he sits down and bang, he opens their minds supernaturally so they can understand everything he's saying. Is that cool? I would like to do that on a Sunday morning. Wouldn't that be cool? I could just, you could understand absolutely everything that I'm saying. And that's what Jesus does, and it would be wonderful to be there with him and, and have him just explain those things to us so that we can understand. And in a way, you know, God does that, maybe not to that extreme, but he opens our minds so that we can understand what he's saying to us. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit later, but in John chapter 16, earlier in his ministry, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come. There's one God but he presents himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are one, never really separated, and yet still they technically function in different ways. 
and the Holy Spirit comes and actually lives inside of people. And that's what Jesus is promising is going to happen. So when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, he helps us to be able to see these things that we weren't able to see before. He helps us to be able to understand the Bible. My mother uh, always wanted to be a good little girl growing up. And I think she was a little bit precocious because she was reading at an early age and she would read her Bible to be good. And she began at an early age reading through her Bible every year. She'd read through the Bible every year, by the time she was in high school at least, and into adulthood. She's searching for God, um, believed that she had a relationship with him, but things were not coming together for her until she was in her 40s. And then there was this sort of this spontaneous combustion that I think I've shared with you before that just took hold of our family. And everybody was turning to the Lord, and my mom in that process committed her life fully to God, and there were some amazing things. You know, her life changed in a lot of ways. And she told me later, she said, after that, even though I'd read through the Bible so many times, it was a new book. I was like reading a new book because I saw things I had never seen before. And I think that's a classic example of what happens when we are walking with Jesus Christ, when we're in relationship with him, we read a different book. Somebody who reads the Bible that doesn't know the Lord and somebody who reads the Bible that does know the Lord, they'll get two entirely things out of it. Just totally, entirely different things. Now, the next thing that Jesus tells us uh, that, that he's going to tell them is that his message is poured out for all of them. And that's another thing that was prophesied, not only that the Messiah would reveal himself, but that when he came, his, his power would be poured out on those who would bring the message, and it would be poured out for those to receive who would receive the message. And so uh, that's the next message that he has for them. And he breaks it up in verses 46 through 49 in a couple ways. First of all, he tells us what he's going to tell them, what, what the message is. And he begins and he says that he is the Christ. Now, the Christ is a Greek word. Does anybody know what the Hebrew word is? You know, what is it? What's the, what's the Hebrew word for Christ? Messiah. Okay? So Messiah, so Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word. So he's writing, Luke's writing to Greek-speaking people, so he uses the Greek word, Christ. But the word Messiah is the same word. Does anybody know what it means? What's that? Yeah, it does carry that connotation of deliver, but it actually, sometimes you might be surprised, it actually means anointed one. And it's really only used a couple times in the Old Testament, but the significance of it is that it is in what anointed one means. In those days, you had three primary offices in the government, prophet, priest, and king. And if you were a prophet, they anointed your head with oil. If you were a priest, they anointed your head with oil. And if you were king, they anointed your head with oil. That's how they made you. Um, God gave you that position. That's why not very many people wanted to have these offices. And we get their hair all messed up, right? Actually, it was, no, it was a different culture, right? A different culture, and that's what they would do. And that was considered a good thing, and that was their way of saying, that's who you are. Well, what's interesting is all these prophecies are made about this man who's going to come and deliver them. And every time he's in one of the, he's, he's basically, it's clear that he, he's either a prophet, a priest, or a king. And so finally, rather than just referring to all the different passages, they just called him the anointed one. The Messiah in Hebrew, the Christ in Greek. And so now Jesus is going to say, I am that anointed one that everybody was talking about. And let me tell you what I did. I suffered. 
And that's what's supposed to happen. Well, we said last week again, the Jewish people did not believe, the Jewish religious leaders, that, you, that the Messiah would suffer. That was something that wouldn't happen. So how could they be saying that? Something's wrong here. But Jesus is saying if they'd read their Bibles correctly, they would have seen all along that the Messiah is supposed to suffer. Where does it say that? Let me give you a couple examples. Go home today and read Psalm 22. Psalm 22. You can remember that. It's a fascinating psalm because it's clear that they're talking about someone who has come to deliver them and help them in some way. We believe clearly it was even the Jewish people would refer to this as this was something messianic. It was about Messiah. And yet the passage talks about or at least describes crucifixion. And what's really fascinating is the fact that crucifixion was not to be invented for hundreds of years later. Another very interesting passage is Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering service, servant who's supposed to come and help everybody and how he suffers and goes on about his suffering. So it's very clear in Scripture, but they were missing it. Next, um, it says that he is to rise from the dead. Does it say that anywhere? Peter felt that was true, and in the first sermon he gave in Acts chapter 2, he quoted from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. Psalm 16, 8 through 11, and in that it says that God's Holy One, would be in reference to the you know, Messiah, God's Holy One will not see decay. His body will not decay, but instead, his body, of course, will rise from the grave. And it's kind of this question, how, how come his body won't decay? He answered it. He rose from the grave. And then it talks about the third day. And there are multiple passages about the third day. The most famous being probably um, John chapter one, I mean, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, that is quoted by Jesus um, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. But the point of it is, is that they mentioned the third day of it as a day of deliverance or salvation so many times that the Pharisees and scribes and stuff, they actually had come up with their own theology and they talked about the third day of salvation. And here on the third day, Jesus rises from the grave. So you can see it all comes together. And it all comes together perfectly, just as it had been prophesied. Does that blow your mind? God just had the whole thing worked out. Then he describes what it is that is supposed to happen. People are supposed to have repentance and forgiveness to experience this. Now, I believe that Jesus probably spoke more at length. And so Luke has the difficult task of making it very short and succinct for us to understand it. So he basically describes this as repentance and forgiveness. If we repent, we'll experience forgiveness. Repentance means not just to say that you've done something wrong, or uh, it means to change from it. It means a total reversal. It means a reorientation of your mind. And so what Luke is saying is when people get to the point where they're ready to turn from the world to the Lord, when they believe the things that have now been taught about Jesus, that we just learned, that he is the Christ, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, and they embrace that. They surrender themselves to that. Nothing they can do on their own other than just give in to it. Then they come into a personal relationship with him. And the result of coming into that relationship is they are forgiven past, present, and future. You may do things that are wrong still and they make you feel uncomfortable in your relationship with God and you need to talk to him about those things, but he's forgiven you. He's given you peace with him. He has given you shalom. That's what he's offering here. Now, we explain that a lot of times, well, really, when we talk about on Sundays, we generally explain that in what we call the ABCs. And it really captures the things that are being talked about here. Um, a, we say, admit that you're a sinner in need of salvation. Do you see that there? Talk about we, we're sinners, so we need to be saved. 
and B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave. And this is the repentance side. Now you turn from your way and you choose to follow Christ and put your faith in him alone. If anybody does that or is interested in doing that, we really encourage them to come and talk with us about that today. Now he goes on and he talks about uh, who this is for. He says it's to be preached in his name to all the nations. This message is to go out in his name, which by the way doesn't mean that every time you tell somebody about Jesus you have to say, oh, in his name. It's not like there's this magical word. It's the idea of his authority. In his name means in his authority, under his banner, under his power. If you are preaching and you're in relationship with God and you're trusting in him, then you're preaching in his name. Who are you supposed to tell? Here he says all the nations. The Greek word is ethne, which stands for what do you think? What do you think ethne stands for? Ethnicity, right? All ethnicities, everybody. And they say, well, we never saw that before. Well, yeah, it's, it's in the Bible. It's, for example, in, in, um, we find in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it says, a light for the Gentiles to the end of the earth. The Gentiles were the non-Jews. The, the Messiah was to be a light to open up all those that were non-Jews so that they could understand to the end of the earth for all of them. They were thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to conquer everybody to the end of the earth. He's saying, no, you're going to be used to save people to the end of the earth. That's what, that's what I've come for. So uh, he sets it up, and then he says, who's going to deliver the message? He says, you are. But we don't even understand a lot of this stuff. We've got a lot of problems. Yeah, but I am going to enable you to do it. I am going to send you someone, and it's the same one that the Father has promised to you. See, they're working together, both the authority of Jesus sending as God and the Father promising as God, and the Holy Spirit comes as God. Again, getting back to John 16. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will enable you to send forth this message. This is again getting back to Scripture, to Joel chapter 2, verses 17 through 32. And in Joel chapter, 17, uh, chapter 2, verses 17 through 32, it says, in that day, there would be power that would be poured out on the people that God would pour out his spirit on them and enable them to do some magnificent things. And I love the word picture here. He says that, um, he says that they will, they will um, be clothed with power from on high. It's like saying, I'm going to put you in some clothes. I'm going to put a jacket on you, and when you're wearing that jacket, you have supernatural powers. Take that jacket off, you don't. But you put that jacket on, you have supernatural power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He'll live in you, and he will clothe you and empower you for whatever you have to do. Kind of like Iron Man, right? You know, he says, but yeah, it's kind of that idea that you're, the, the, what you put on you gives you this supernatural power to do what God has called you to do. Reminds me a little bit of baseball. The baseball season has begun. Our softball league is going to start pretty soon. And it's sort of like that with us. We're a team. If you're in a relationship with God, you're on the team. You wear the uniform. And the Holy Spirit is the one who coaches and teaches you and helps you to do what you're supposed to do. Each of us have different gifts and abilities. Everybody serves in different places. And we all have things that we can do that other people can't do. And it's our job to find out what it is that God's calling us to do. Not all of us are as prominent. I'm going to be more prominent. I'm on the mound. I'm the pitcher, so to speak. But my job is not to strike people out, but I'm supposed to pitch good balls that they can understand and hit out of the park. 
And everybody's going to get up to bat, and everybody's going to field the ball. And the question is, are you working with God? Are you prepared for the time when the ball comes to you? When your neighbor comes to you and asks you how they can be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, are you able to explain that to them at that time? Are you ready to build those relationships with the people in your life and get to know them and, and minister to them? That's playing catch with them. That's telling them about the Lord. Are you using your gifts and abilities for service to Christ? The Holy Spirit has been given to us, poured out upon us, starting with them, but even to us today, that we might minister this message to the people that God has placed in our lives and to our world. And then Jesus ends it um, by, by telling them that he should be worshipped as the Christ. That he really is the Christ. So much of, the, especially the Psalms, talk about worship of the Christ. And so he says, that's what you're supposed to do. There's an interesting thing that happens here. Verse 49 and 50, get ready for this. Between verse 49 and 50, there are 40 days. 40 days take place between those two verses. How do I know that? The Holy Spirit enlightened me and told me that. No, that wouldn't work, would it? I've got to be, if I'm going to say it, it's got to be able to, it has to line up with the scriptures. Well, in Acts chapter 1, it tells us that 40 days took place. So would you say there's a contradiction here? No, I wouldn't because Luke wrote both books. All he does is he just makes a quick closing in this one because he's going to talk about it in detail in the next. There are two volumes that come together. And so he just sort of ties it up quickly here. And when we look at Matthew and John, it sounds like what Jesus did is he gave them more instructions than were here given. And Jesus basically said, I want you to go to Galilee. I want you to go back down there and, and prepare for ministry. I'm going to train you there. Then I want you to come back here and stay here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then at that point, so we're flashing forward 40 days, Jesus then at that point takes him out to the vicinity or the area of Bethany, which was right by the Mount of Olives where he had predicted um, the end times. And then he puts up his hands like this. He's blessing them as a priest would. And what happens? He starts levitating. And he starts rising right before their eyes. And he goes up higher and higher and higher. And then he just disappears. So as he, he puts his hands up, that's what a priest would do. The famous story is Elijah, who remember the, with the chariots and horsemen went up to heaven. And he was a great prophet. So we have the priest, the prophet, and he's going to sit at the right hand of God as the king, regent. Prophet, priest, and king, Messiah, Christ. He rises to heaven. Can you imagine what that would have been like? And it's interesting, too, you know, that whole concept of where is heaven. It's like he goes up and he just kind of disappears. That's, I think it's another dimension. It's probably closer to us than we realize. And he just goes to this other dimension. Bang, he's gone. He's there. And these guys finally get it. They finally realize he really is the Christ. And they are so excited. They are just jazzed. And so... They head on back, um, and they go to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, therefore, is set up as the birthplace of Christianity. And they go to the temple, and we're told that the temple was enormous, so there were a lot of empty rooms that weren't used. So they were finding places every day that they could gather and pray and talk and prepare for God. It kind of reminds me of surprise parties. you ever go to surprise parties? You know, and, and when you have surprise parties, 
what you find out is if people are annoyed because you're late all the time, you'll find out that you're told to come at an earlier time than your buddy, right? So that's not a good thing to find out. And they want everybody there early. You've got to hide your car. And then you get together, and what, what do you do while you're waiting for the person? You talk to them. You talk about that person. And you talk about, boy, I hope they really enjoy this. Boy, they're a great person. I hope this is really special for them. I wonder if they'll be surprised. At least that's what you hope you'll be saying. And then the person comes and they go, surprise! My parents went to a party once for this person. There was a lady um, who was elderly. It was her birthday party. And they said, surprise! And she passed out. She hit the deck. <laughs> so you've got to be careful how you do that sometimes. Jesus is not going to be surprised, though. We're waiting for him, even as they were waiting for him then, we're waiting for the end. And he still has some things that are hidden. And when that time comes, he's going to surprise us. But while we're waiting, we need to talk about him. And beyond that, we can actually talk to him. God doesn't, you know, when he comes, we don't want to find ourselves not doing anything. We want to be serving God. But more important than serving him, we want to be interacting with him. We want to be worshiping him. We want to be telling him how much we love him. So the question that I have for you today is how are the Old Testament teachings being filled, uh, fulfilled in our lives? And just some ideas to, to wrestle with. Some may apply more than others, but how do you sincerely and persistently seek Jesus? Oftentimes we talk about, I wasted my time. But I think time with Jesus is never wasted time. Do you understand that? Time with Jesus is never wasted time. If you are walking with Jesus, if he is in your mind and in your heart, you're thinking about him, no matter what you're doing, you haven't wasted your time. Time without Jesus is wasted time. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. So it means that we need to always be in interaction with him. And a lot of that happens through the time we spend in our Bibles. That means we have to have our Bibles on our minds. I know some of you are extremely busy. We have some... Sometimes we have parents that are single parents and it's just crazy, burning the candle at both ends. But I think everybody can at least take their Bible, memorize a verse, and think about it all day long. Or spend 15 minutes in the daily bread devotional that we have on the back. Or here's something else that I'd encourage you to do. We don't do this enough. Is take notes. I see some of you do that. But take notes on a Sunday morning. Write down the, the things that are of interest to you that you think can help you or whatever. Go home and think about it. Pray over it. And see what you can learn. Now, here's the interesting thing. You can listen to people on radio and TV, and you find some people that are you know, better speakers and so forth, but they're speaking to their, their community. They're not speaking to our community. So the things that we're saying are related specifically to what's going on with you and our church and our community. And with them, you can try to contact them, but you're not, you're gonna, it's going to be hard to get a response. But with us, you can send emails, you can call us up, contact us, and we can talk through it, and we can do the process with you. So it becomes almost a, a giant Bible study in a way. So I encourage you to take advantage of that and look through some of those things. And it's good for me because I learn from you when that happens. I get feedback that helps me, and we have some good interaction. Next is, are you part of the team? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you surrendered to him as we talked about earlier? Have you connected in some meaningful way? You know, what is your gifts in ministry that the Holy Spirit's given you? Maybe it's helping with worship. Maybe it's helping with children or um, teaching the older kids or helping with youth. Maybe it's helping setting up or tearing down. Let us know if there's certain things that you want to do so you can help out and be part of the body. 
And certainly everybody should try to get involved in a small group of some sort. Come and talk to us, and we'll see what we can do to get you connected in relationships with others and help you to develop your gifts and abilities. Get involved in things like Bunko Night or, um, or, or Relay for Life. Find ways you can get involved together in community and ways that you can serve others uh, in the community. And then worship while you wait. I think whistle while you work. Isn't that uh, one way? But worship while you wait. While we're waiting, let's worship. Just like they waited for Jesus to come, we're waiting again. So let's worship him. Let's tell him how much we love him. Let's thank him for all the things he does for us. Maybe thank him that we finally got through this long book, right? We got through it. So thank him for that. Thank him for the things he's doing in your life. Listen to music. Um, I, I have a you know, Pandora stations I listen to that just fill me up and worship God. Find different ways that you can keep in connection with God. Now, a lot of what we've talked about today is about promises, right? And you've heard a lot about promises lately, haven't you? Because it's election season. Everybody's making promises. Now, I don't know if you thought about this, but I, I find it very interesting that it's absolutely impossible for any of the candidates to fulfill their promises. Did you know that? Because of the system that we have, our, our governmental political system is such that they can get parts of it fulfilled, but with the checks and balances, they can never get their promises entirely fulfilled. But because most Americans don't know that, they won't vote for them unless they make a promise. So even the most honest candidates have to make promises they know they can't be fulfilled to people who think they can be fulfilled and others who know they can't be fulfilled. And the whole thing gets pretty silly sometimes, doesn't it? But it's different with Jesus. Jesus made promises and what happened? Every promise that he said was supposed to be fulfilled so far has been fulfilled. And so we can have confidence that the promises that are to be fulfilled in the future will be fulfilled. So my recommendation is that you uh, cast your vote for Jesus. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you so much for what you do in our lives. Um, thank you for the shalom that we can have uh, to a great degree here on earth, but forever in heaven when we're in a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our lives, and if there's anybody here that does not yet know you, that today would be the day that they would uh, come and give their life to Jesus Christ. And I pray for uh, those of us in relationship with you that this would be an opportunity for us to grow deeper in our walk with you through your word, through fellowship with one another, and ministry opportunities through the worship of you. Lord, we just thank you that you are an awesome, wonderful, magnificent God. And we love you very much. And we pray that you would continue to encourage our hearts as we continue to lift you up in worship. Amen.